going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. On this edition of the Calgary Today podcast, it's the biggest infrastructure need in this city and it still remains unfunded. What happens to the dream of a new field house if Calgary votes no to the Olympics? We'll also talk about the big boost in solar power we've seen here in Alberta. And we look back at the Calgary life of comic book king Stanley. Joining us now is the chair of the Calgary Multisport Fieldhouse Society, Jason Saran. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, how are you today? Fantastic, man. I got a, I got a little bit of a frog in the throat and a long, long weekend, unfortunately, but we're, we're making a go of it, my friend. You sound good to me. Good I, to me. I'll take that. If I drop a couple of octaves, I think that makes it uh, sound that much smoother on the radio. I do think so, yeah. I'm happy to be on the show, by the way. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? Let's start first and foremost with, I think a lot of people are wondering what a field house will entail because they don't necessarily know what exactly it is at the end of the day. So... In your mind, what is the best case scenario or what is the best maybe fit for a uh, field house here in Calgary? Yeah, well, you know, a couple of great questions there. First off, I think there is, you know, some confusion as to what a field house really even is, you know, and it's uh, because, uh, you know, there's a soccer field house in Calgary, which is, uh, I think, Foothill Soccer Club, and that's a, they've got their own private uh, indoor field for their soccer club. In this case, the Calgary uh, Multisport Field House, think of it as a, a summer sport facility that is indoors. Obviously, in a winter based city like Calgary, where you've got uh, seven months of winter, sometimes more. Um, all those sports that you typically play outside in the summer that involve turf and running, I, I like to say that uh, using sports that use a lot of balls, football, lacrosse, basketball, volleyball, um, soccer, uh, rugby, I don't know if I covered everything, field hockey, <laughs> that, that happens. There's a few of, of them. A, yeah, and stuff where it happens inside of a facility where you need turf and then, of course, track and field uh, and running events and that stuff where you're going to use a, a track because it is a 400-meter track with a a turf uh, a turf field in between that and then obviously gymnasia court facilities for those other things so that's a field house um and then uh, you know calgary's just it, you know uh, over time uh, other facilities have been built here and uh, you know for three decades now we've been kind of uh, advocating our group just for the most recent uh, eight years but for three decades been advocating for a field house and calgary remains kind of the you know the only major canadian city that doesn't have such a facility What's been the pushback? Is it simply dollars and cents at the end of the day, or is it just a, a lack of land, or what is it that's been kind of holding us back from getting from point A to point B? Um, well, funding, obviously. So it's been at the top of the unfunded list for a few years now when it comes to capital projects. And uh, typically, you know, Calgary is just a really fast-growing city, and I, you know, I don't think you can hold any one certain group responsible or person responsible for it never being built. So, you know, we've had to get a lot of stuff built, whether it was the Olympics back in 88, and we've had a lot of different uh, uh, facilities and uh, projects that have kind of moved ahead of it all the time. And I think one of the challenges that, in the, in the case of the field house, it truly is a multi-sport facility that represents all kind of stakeholder groups. So, and it also, it's, a, it's planned for Foothills Athletic Park, and so it's never really had one group embrace and carry it forward, whether it be a community or uh, a particular sporting group. And, you know, our group has been there again for, uh, you know, for since 2008, kind of be that advocacy group working with the city. But it is a city project, and it's been identified as, as obviously, uh, you know, a critical part of our infrastructure, but it's kind of never had 
uh, gained the momentum it's needed, and subsequently it's always kind of fallen by the wayside. And uh, and you know that's what we feel now is the time to get this built, and uh, we don't want to push further down the road. We see an opportunity through the Olympic bid. Uh, in building Calgary sports infrastructure on several levels and, and upgrading the stuff from the 88 Olympics and the field house being obviously in our minds the most important part that needs to be built. If Calgary votes no tomorrow, what's the big concern from your group when it comes to getting a new field house? Well, the, again, if, it, uh, if no goes through, I think the big concern is that there is no money for the field house. Um, obviously, uh, Calgary's still going through some tough times and budgeting is pretty tight. And so in this upcoming budget cycle and, uh, you know, the, the city council would be going through in November, you know, the fear is that, uh, and I think the mayor's alluded to it is that again, there, there is no funding or there may not be any funding for the field house. So now we're looking at another window of another two to five years. And you've got a city like Edmonton, for example, that's had a field house starting in 1968. Calgary's very first proposal for a field house, believe it or not, was 1967. I always joke it was the last year the Leafs won the cup, I think. So <laughs> that's how I remember it easily. Um, but Edmonton since then has got three field houses and, you know, more than likely by the time we get one built, they're going to have another one, which will be, um, which will be four field houses. And, uh, and we have yet to get our first. So my fear is that if it doesn't happen now, there is no funding. There is a commitment, I think, from the mayor and council at some point to get it built. Um, but that may be two, three, five years down the road that they find the funding and we're just further down the road again. It's interesting talking to different groups, especially sports groups. And one of the things you, you mentioned lacrosse, but I've, t- I've heard football in particular is one that, you know, as much as we take pride in what we're able to do here, we can't provide any kind of winter training place for football players. So punting indoors becomes really difficult or, or that kind of thing. How tough has it been for those summer sports to do the year round training that other other municipalities and other uh, places around North America have those opportunities that we don't necessarily have? Well, it's been very difficult. A lot of our stakeholder groups, you'll find that they, um, and when I say stakeholder groups, I mean sporting organizations find that they aren't able to either play their sport um, because of lack of um, lack of facilities. If you take full field soccer, for example, they really struggle to do that in Calgary. Uh, there's a lot of that many boarded soccer that happens indoors. But most of these organizations like football or soccer, track events, track and field, they move and they take their training to other cities. And so you get athletes and organizations that actually take dollars and take their teams, take their competitions to other cities like Edmonton or Saskatoon or Regina, or they'll go as far you know, away as Ottawa to train. Um, so a lot of the athletes that end up coming to Calgary to train because of the quality of, uh, of trainers and other facilities that we do have, when it comes to these sports, they end up having to leave. And I think Calgary, well, we know for a fact, it's not even a matter of thinking. We, we know that we've lost lots of, uh, lots of those organizations to take their uh, athletes and have to go elsewhere. Well, so anyway, that's been a big, uh, you know, that is a big gap for us as a city. That's for sure. Yeah. It's one of those things that I think we, we take for granted. I think a little bit is the ability that we do have some world-class athletes and in, in different sports and they're not necessarily ones that are on, everybody's radar. I look at Mike Soroka pitching with the Atlanta Braves as an example. And here's a kid that came out of Calgary and you know, you, you almost, you're missing out on an opportunity to maybe keep those kids and those dollars here uh, to help them train here. But instead they've got to go elsewhere to, uh, to, to apply their trade. Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. And I, I like to emphasize that this isn't a facility about elite athletes and it's, you know, it's, it's very simple. I've lived in Calgary for most of my life and it, you know what, it starts with, it starts with playing and you start by playing in winter days. You need an indoor 
place to just start playing. And then, you know what, then you start practicing and or training and then eventually you compete. And, you know, if you want to call them world-class athletes or athletes at a high level, they all start by being kids playing like I did. And the sad reality is that when I was playing back in the 80s, I thought there'd be something new for my son, who now is 18, to play in an indoor place. And there still isn't. And, uh, you know, he, he was a track guy, he was a track guy, football guy. And you know what, here we are. And that's how I got involved. You know, here we are decades later and we're still talking about this thing. And um, you know what, uh, it's as simple as that. You know, it's cradle to grave type deal. It's from little kids to seniors when you need a place to go and walk or to run, or to kick a ball, or do something and get away from our winter, Calgarians deserve to have this facility, and I think that's why it's, you know, why it's on the radar, and it's a big talking point right now at all levels, because it is a much-needed facility, and, you know, if you look at it, the reason we like this is it's it's a good deal for Calgarians right now, because we really believe that uh, Calgarians need to have this facility, and it's going to cost the taxpayers around 250 to $300 million to, to build this much-needed facility in the next few years, and in this case, with the Olympics, you know, if you're going to spend that kind of money, um, in this case, let's say $390 million is Calgary's portion, which is almost a field house in itself. And, you know, probably over and above that, let's call it uh, that extra $100 million maybe is, is, if you want to eyeball it to something, let's say another $100 million that goes to other sports infrastructure. In this case, you get another $2 billion back invested in our city. So, you know, if you're going to spend the 300 to $390 million and get a field house, you might as well get another $2 billion on top of that from other levels of government invested into our city. That's kind of as simple as we're looking at it. And, you know, now's the time to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Jason Zaran is the chair of the Calgary Multisport Fieldhouse Society. Jason, thank you so much for the time and the insight today. Hopefully it was helpful and uh, encourage everybody to get out and vote. Absolutely. That's the important part. Whether you're pro or against the Olympics, hopefully you will get out and vote tomorrow. We'll talk more about this in a second. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Interesting sometimes how we say no, 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 no to everything. And then somehow we start saying yes randomly. And one of those topics happens to be solar power. And I found it interesting. The province saying today solar industry has grown by five times since 2015. And of course, they're going to take credit saying that their climate leadership plan is working and all that kind of thing. But the facts still remain the same as it's growing by five times, about 3,100 solar installations. More than 300 certified companies have installed solar projects across the province. The province says Albertans have conserved enough energy to power this a city the size of Leduc. So that's a pretty good thing, I think, at the end of the day, isn't it? Well, to shed a little bit more light on what he's seeing from the ground level, uh, Rob Harlan is the executive director of the Solar Energy Society of Alberta. Rob, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Where would you say Alberta's biggest win has been when it comes to solar power thus far? The entire uh, landscape worldwide is that uh, costs are dropping. And that's the main driver. Uh, regardless of sort of political policy uh, in different jurisdictions around the world, the economics are really going to determine it all, and um, the economics are looking very good. That's obviously been the biggest issue, I think, when it comes to just your ordinary, regular people who are thinking about getting into that program, is the price competitiveness seemed to be the biggest stumbling block for a lot of people. Yes, uh, that in conjunction with the upfront cost, basically the economics are it. You have to put out the the revenue at the start, and then the savings accrue over time. And so, uh, 
we're actually looking into like financing programs, how to reduce that upfront cost. But um, yeah, it's the cost and the upfront cost that have been the primary barriers. What changed in the last few years here that allowed for Albertans to buy in? Well, a couple of things. I mean, besides the economics, uh, increasingly looking better. The um, the Alberta Climate Leadership Plan uh, was a, a real factor. It was uh, a realistic look at kind of some of the opportunities that Alberta is facing and some of the challenges that Alberta is facing. And within that, it became pretty clear, and also with uh, public opinion, that renewables is really something that we should take seriously in the province. So it's a combination of the economics and also political uh, moves that came out of that uh, that government climate leadership panel. You've said uh, farmers in particular would really welcome different programs to allow them to get in. From what you've seen and what you've heard, has it been everything on the farm or is it mainly just for business operations or or where are the, the rural customers kind of buying in here? So farmers are kind of a, a great candidate for solar in that they normally have great solar access in the prairies, lots of sun, lots of space for systems. Um and farmers are typically not adverse to uh, investing in equipment, uh, long-term investments. So, but uh, yeah, for farmers, essentially what, what farmers are doing is they're just putting in a utility intertie system. In other words, it's not an independent off-grid system. It's a, it's a solar system that ties into the grid so it can export excess power uh, when it's available. Um, and in the winter, when there's not so much solar producing, they can actually buy it back. So the utility service is a gigantic battery, which is very helpful. So that's that's pretty much what farmers are embracing, these utility enterprise systems. When I was reading through the, the province's news release this morning, they said 3,100 solar installations done thus far. I'm curious, in your mind, what needs to happen to grow that number even more? Um. Well, um, it's a young industry, uh, especially young in Alberta. We're a little late in the game, jumping in um, around the world. Uh, what needs to happen is some kind of continued public education process, uh, some kind of continued incentive program. Uh, there's there's a, a decent incentive program right now, and that'll need to continue for a couple of years. It's any industry that starts up, including the our oil sands was heavily subsidized at the beginning. So that's very helpful to grow the industry and the benefits are tremendous. So it's the cost benefit ratio is really advantageous, but um, those two things primarily are needed. Um, economics will do the rest. How important is it for uh, industry to get involved in this, and I know that there's been a buy-in on that front, but for it to continue to go as strong, does it still need to diversify a little bit? Um, well, economic diversity is really a benefit to the province, and uh, what we're seeing is that we're, we just commissioned a study. It was called the Solar PV Value Chain Opportunities Study. And it really looked at um, what's happening in the industry in Alberta specifically, uh, what the value chain looks like, the supply chain essentially looks like, you know, where are all these products coming from, who's doing the work, et cetera. 
and where is all this going? Um, and uh, they basically point out that Alberta already has a number of industries that could diversify and enter in the field. And what we're seeing is a lot of electrical uh, uh, contractors, essentially, are stepping up and saying, we, we want to have a solar division. We're hearing it from our customers. And so a lot of the expansion in the industry has been some of that. But what's really interesting, I mean, the government made the statement that uh, the the industry has grown by five times in the last, since 2015. Um, I haven't read that exact study, but our organization uh, has a directory of solar businesses. There were 48 in 2015. Uh, now there's 235. Hmm. So that's almost five times. And not only the businesses, uh, there have been more businesses, but these businesses are larger in size because um, they're getting more work. And each of those businesses is has other ramifications, you know, secondary uh, economic advantages, uh, you know, opportunities that show up for supporting industries. So it's very much a, a, a growing industry. We have a great resource. We're a nonprofit organization. We do solar education. We have a great resource, which is our website. If people are interested in further information, www.solaralberta.ca. We also offer seminars, and the, the next seminar coming up in Calgary is going to be a particular interest to people. It's a release of this uh, value chain opportunity study that we commissioned. Um, so it's going to really talk about all the business opportunities that occur are occurring in the industry. Um, that's going to take place November 27th at the Orpheus Theater at SAIT from 7 to 9. And that's on our website. And entrance is free. So come, ask questions. I think it's going to be a very informative event. Sounds like it. Rob Harlan with the Solar Energy Society of Alberta. Thank you so much for the time, sir. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. In case you missed it in the news, comic book king Stan Lee has died at the age of 95, leaving an undeniable mark on the world of comics, obviously with Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, the Incredible Hulk, and many others. But he also left an impact here in Calgary. Calgary Expo show spokesperson Lindsay Thomas joins us now. Lindsay, thanks so much for the time today. Oh, my pleasure. Sad news to to start the the week off with. Obviously, give us. A, I know you've met uh, Stan before, but what was Stan like? Uh, Stan Lee like in person? Oh, he w- was just this overabundance of energy and enthusiasm, and a lot of wisdom too. We had a lot of great conversation about art and entertainment and writing and. Uh, how meaningful that can be culturally and in society and what an impact that it can have. And uh, he, he was a tremendously hard worker. Uh, he was very much an advocate of, you know, find what, out, what it is that you're passionate about and then work hard at it. You know, don't just sit there and be like, okay, I'm a good writer. Um, people should pay me to write. It's like, no, you have to, you have to put yourself out there. You have to work at it. You have to persist. And, uh, just a lot of really, uh, a lot of good advice from Stan, to be honest, and uh, a lot of really fun, fun moments. It's amazing to me as a guy who's been in the business as long as he has managed to continue to have that effect on people and to be able to to teach them on so many different aspects of life. 
Oh, absolutely. And that really is, I think, part of his appeal is that not only do you have this this kind of cultural icon, but you have somebody who has developed this great understanding of the world in which they live and is sharing that understanding and that knowledge with the people around them. And certainly for my generation and the following generation and the generation before, uh, those of us who knew and loved him or were at the very least aware of him would, would get a lot out of just sitting and listening to what he had to say. It, it doesn't come as any surprise, I don't think, given that, you know, he'd do TED Talks and he'd do those kinds of events as well. So it was more than just comic books and it was more than just superheroes, I guess, to him as well. Oh, absolutely. And he's, he's said it multiple times and he, in, in public, and he said this to me in conversations. Is when he was first starting out, he, he had a lot of doubts about what he was doing. You know, people are building bridges and buildings, and he always wondered if what he was doing would be have an impact or be at all important. But then you see these superheroes emerging, you know, going throughout tumultuous times, like, you know, world wars and things like that. And um, suddenly you kind of realize that the world, the world needs good heroes. Mm. <laughs> the world needs good people. Yeah, absolutely. When you look yeah. back on Stanley's career, what do you think is sort of his legacy? Um, well, I mean, you know, that question could probably be answered differently by every person that you talk to. Mm-hmm. A lot of people might say, oh, it's Spider-Man or, or the Avengers or this, that, and the other. But uh, certainly for me, it's, uh, it was just this attitude of being passionate about what it is that you love and working hard at it. That was a lesson that I learned from him very early on uh, in my years with, with working with him and has stuck with me. And the very best way I feel that I can honor his memory is to do exactly that, to be passionate about the things that I love, to work hard at them, and to do it in kindness as well. He truly did love what he was doing, didn't he? Mm-hmm, he really did. Stanley leaves behind quite the, the legacy and certainly an indelible mark here in Calgary as well. Uh, Lindsay, thank you so much for the time today. My pleasure. Thank you for the call. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.